Hey, we're going to get right into your episode of Space Cats Peace Turtles. But before we do, I my name is Hunter, and I got to tell you, we're doing a show <laughs> this year at uh, Gen Con on Thursday at 3 p.m. Come see it. All right, now enjoy the episode. This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 87, Promissory Notes. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. All right. Well, I'm glad be- that Heroes of Land, Air, and Sea did not get voted on. Yeah, it, that's that, a relief. That's the one that got thrown out <laughs> because we didn't like it anymore. So let's talk about that, how we actually kind of decided we didn't really like it very much. We decided much. we hate that game, and, and it's not. it really has nothing to do with the fact that you all voted it out. It's that we were just like, we're over it, actually, personally. We don't like it, so we took it off the list. No, that's not true. Uh, we did it fair and square. Uh, so like we've been saying uh, with this this current arc of the show where we are looking for game two, um, but every two weeks we're going to shave off the game yes. that got the least amount of votes. Uh, if you want to vote, please join our, our Patreon and vote. Uh, the second round of voting has already started. Um, Heroes of Land, Air, and Sea did not make the cut. I thought there were some good things about it, but I also thought there were some things about it that I didn't really, that I felt were a little like, oh, I don't know. But it also... At, it, at the end of the day, we knew it wasn't going to be the one because it was the one we already had to do a vote to even include. Right. So it's kind of like... This this round was a little bit of a known entity, but diplomacy didn't perform so hot either. If we're being uh, a little open with the information, right? Yeah, yeah. So so we can go ahead and say diplomacy is is in trouble. Um, yeah. So, so we'll if, you, see if you're what... a big diplomacy fan, get on the Patreon and and make your voice heard because yeah, uh, we're not hearing many of you. <laughs> right. Right. Um. But yeah. So that's that's kind of what we wanted to start talking about today. Uh, Heroes of Land Errancy is out. Um, the remaining games are Diplomacy, like we've already talked about, uh, Game of Thrones, Mother of Dragons expansion, mm-hmm. um, Root, which is a cool game. Um, not to say yeah. that, that I'm biased towards it. Uh, in Dune. Um, yeah. Those are the games And, and for those, afra- we've gotten this question a lot, and so I'll, I'll throw this out here. Dune is Rex. The board game Rex that is in the Twilight Imperium universe that you may have heard of is the third edition of Dune, and there is a fourth edition of Dune coming out. So just yeah. to make that clear, when you see Dune on the list and you're like, hey, wait, what about Rex? It's an obvious choice. Well, Dune, then, to you, would be an obvious choice. And for those worried about the release schedule of Dune, we have a bit more information in terms of there are supposed to be limited copies at Gen Con, and supposedly Gale Force 9 has said that the game will be available late August. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see how that shakes out. But we intend to, by the time we have made a choice, if it is Dune, we should have a new version of Dune to definitely be able to play. We're not just kind of like hoping it actually all works out that there's a game that exists. There's there's a lot of information to show that the game is basically almost done. Yeah. Uh, so. 
Another thing I wanted to call out in general is that this sh- this show is mostly about people voting for stuff now, we've realized, is like <laughs> kind of the through line is people vote for stuff because the episode this week and possibly even next week, depending on how long we go, uh, yeah. is a Galactic Council episode and uh, it was a tie between yes. promissory notes and lore. Um, and if you guys did not know, I'm actually the vice president of the Galactic Council, or I'm the, I'm the vice president of Space Cats Peace Turtles. Uh, and my vice president powers means that I break ties in the Galactic Council, just like right. the real vice president. <laughs> uh, and I broke it for promissory notes. Um, yeah. I, I'll, I'm going to go ahead and justify my choice here, because this is the most uh, I've ever gotten to choose with anything when it comes to the show, <laughs> which is exciting. I, I finally, finally Hunter gets a say. Um <laughs> But no, uh, I wanted to give you guys some uh, some real some uh, like a topic with some strategy meat on the bones because yeah. it feels like we've been kind of jumping all over the place lately. So let's 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 give you something that you could errata that something something you could be like you guys are idiots. I know it right. all. I am right. I am the card man, and <laughs> I know the the heart of the cards. <laughs> <clears throat> well. Let's let's talk about promissory notes then. And there's a lot to talk about. Uh, there's there's four generic promissory notes. There's 17 faction promissory notes. And uh, I feel like to even before we can even cover what all those things are on an individual basis, we need to get into just the basics of promissory notes. Yes. Um, because even at the baseline, I think the the learn to play doesn't have you use promissory notes in your first game. Yeah. So some people maybe have barely played with promissory notes. Maybe they played as the rulebook intended for their first game, and then they've only played one other time, and it was with promissory notes, but they didn't know how to handle them, so they didn't really deal with them. Um, I like how so you're making biggest- it sound like like this is how other people would be with the game, because we, uh, yeah. if you listen to this show... You would notice right. that in a, probably about the first six months of the show, we very routinely were like, promissory notes, don't really get them, not sure what you do with them. <laughs> doop, boop, doop, doop, boop. Like, yeah. They, we, would, we would get to a suggestion was like, I don't know if you'd ever trade this out or not. I don't know. I right. don't think you'd use this. <laughs> Every faction guide is just us being like, hmm, uh, you probably shouldn't trade it. That would be bad. We were like so scared of promissory right. notes, I feel like, when this game first came out. Because I think me and Matt have a lot of, uh, we we want to be the one getting the upper hand all the time. Yeah. Uh, especially when we're playing with each other. a lot of fear. Yeah. That's what it is. Right. A lot of fear that we might be on the bad end of a deal, basically. Yeah. Um, which I feel like has lessened a little bit because we don't play together as often. <laughs> right. as it's now a new thing for us to play yeah. a game together instead of uh, every single game is just us. So it's just, that's kind of right. fun, that dynamic. Yeah. Um, so we should talk about uh, promissory notes first and foremost. You should consider that they're, they are a resource uh, more so than uh, things like, you, you know, you can call everything in the game a sort of resource. But if you have resources, influence, trade goods, promissory is the next promissory note is the next thing on that list. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, OK, Hakan can trade action cards and you can trade information and everything is like some in some way a resource. But promissory notes are like your fourth tangible resource and so when we talk about promissory notes today we're going to be talking almost exclusively about trading it's not going to be about the power of the ability although we will touch on that stuff but 
the power of the ability is something you are trading away. Yeah. And that is the more important framework to be thinking about a promissory note is what am I willing to gain for giving away this power? Yeah. One thing that I think is really interesting about promissory notes versus like all the other kind of resources and systems in the game is that promissory notes is, I think, the system where people most frequently express their personality as a player. So like some people, I feel like the entire game is built around for them the way they express themselves with these promissory notes. Um, and I think there's kind of an axis there of the people where the whole, the game is a lot of them thinking about how to use these cards. Right. And then there are people that I think where the cards are more supplemental. And then there are people that just don't really use them at all. Um, right. And I think depending on the game, all three of those approaches are totally valid. I just think it's interesting that like with promissory notes, there is kind of a very human element of like, do you use this? Do you not use this? It's right. not necessarily good or bad if you're making right. use of this. Um, but like with an action card that doesn't affect, like, yeah, you're always going to do, you're always going right. to play a good action card. You're right. not always going to make a trade that is good. There's a, there, right. promissory notes are the most like wobbly aspect, I feel like, yeah. of all the resources that you have. And because of that, they're like the most, like interesting dynamic within the game because they can they can fundamentally shake up a game. I mean, I, I would say they are as impactful as some of the more impactful agendas on the game. Depending sure. on the depending on the promissory note, it'll sh- it'll change the framework of your relationship with your neighbors and where you are and are not allowed to go or who who you are allowed to deal with and things like that. It changes the social element between players so much that it changes the context of the game. Yeah. Uh, and and so by that nature, they, they are contextual by design. They, they are designed to change as the game shapes and, and moves on, which means we can't assign a standard value to any promissory note. There is right. no a trade good is worth one resource or one influence. And you can kind of, you know, people have done some math, but you can't just assign a value to a promissory note because a promissory note in the early game could be worth x amount but by the late game is worth triple that or vice versa it could be worth a lot in the early game but by the end game it ceases to be important and no longer has any value right i i think in true space cats beast turtles fashion uh even though we just said that oh it's like there's no way to really determine the value because it's contextual (laughs) uh we're throwing that out there and that is true but we are also going to play around in the vacuum of a non-game situation and just talk about with each card what do we feel like the market value is right. to tr- to try and to try and give you an idea of the that contextual value but what, what i think yeah what i think is important there is what we're kind of setting is like the baseline here's the baseline value it will change it 100% will change based on the events of your game but here's like the here's the asking price here's the starting price and then your market of your particular game will change that value yeah what I, what i would like is uh if 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 anybody gives us any errata that's like well what about this situation would this be worth that all i'm trying to get out there is that like we know we there are there are going to be situations where support for the throne uh is basically pointless like and doesn't even matter and like you're at nine points they're at two points 
They want to support for the throne for one trade good. Well, hey, guess what? It's worth one there trade is, good. Buddy. And that yeah. in that context, it was worth one trade good. And that's not there's nothing wrong with that. Um I just I just want to go ahead and put it out there that we're gonna talk a yeah. lot about value and it's this is very theory crafty episode, very hypothetical episode. Absolutely. And we are aware that Lots of this is very wobbly, and you, there will be situations where what what you are about to hear us say either is not, you know, doesn't work with your game, your current situation, or uh, is completely outside of, you know, there there are new situations in Twilight Imperium all the time. There there are games that happen where wow, it's just never really happened like this 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 order of things, and that might change the landscape to such an extent that. One of these cards is worthless, and we said it was worth something, or you know, right, vice versa. Right. A lot of times, yeah. those situations can be kind of obvious. But I, you know, I in doing this show as long as we have, um, I always expect someone to tell me that something happened that never happened before. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so let's dive right into some of these cards. We're going to start with the generic cards. Each player has four promissory notes that every player has and then from there each faction has one distinct faction promissory note so we're going to cover those ones that everybody has and talk about some of their values first and i really think we need to start with support for the throne purely because we could pro we have done an entire episode about support for the throne in the past sure uh so we need to get it out of the way and make a point to not spend our whole entire lives talking about support for the throne. So, so here's here's your condensed version of the conversation about support for the throne. And just so we start off with it, here's the text. When you receive this card, if you are not the blank player, you must place it face up in your play area and gain one victory point. When you activate a system that contains one or more of the blank player's units... If the blank player is eliminated, lose one victory point uh, and return this to the blank player. So all that is to say someone can give you a victory point, but you are no now no longer allowed to target them. You can't activate their stuff. Right. You can't activate their stuff without without losing it. Right. Um, obviously, this is, uh, I think, kind of everybody's favorite generic uh promissory note card or I least like. favorite <laughs> yeah depending just, on how just you depends kind of on how you think about take it that in yeah. um so some of the categories we're going to talk about with uh with each of these cards uh we're going to start with like market value what is this worth um yeah. where we have a, a category called can you pedal it which is for what can you just like fetter this card around a whole bunch like how much can you throw this card out which is interesting because we're starting with support for the throne you can't pedal support for the throne no, really right um, it's a one and done and that's it you'll never trade it out again unless you get it back right and if you get it back a lot of times that situation is not going to be oh there's still a whole bunch of other people i can trade it with a lot of times when you get it back the only person left for you to trade it with is that person that you just got it back from so i don't know um and then our last uh, our last category for the generics is we're going to talk about uh, the Infinity Gauntlet. Do you want, and, right. and how feasible is it for you to get? This one's just kind of a fun, silly category. We should define that a little bit better because some people aren't sure. Infinity Gauntlet, first off, Infinity Gauntlet is a thing in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Every, every single human being on the planet. Be- no, Anyways, no. You got, you got every your thing. single person, every <laughs> single person that can hear my voice knows exactly what the infinity gauntlet is. Okay, because well, then the, in mouse, no, the mouse <laughs> made it so. <laughs> the mouse made it so. Yeah. Uh, but the infinity gauntlet in Twilight Imperium is to say, I gained that 
promissory note from every single player at the table. I got five trade agreements. I got in a six player game. I got five political secrets, whatever, whatever, whatever. So uh, let's answer this question first because we're already talking about it. Right. Support for the throne. You, I, you, there's no way you're ever going to get the support hey, for the throne no. Infinity Gauntlet. Send me the story. Send Somebody's me the story. done yeah. it. <laughs> tell Someone me you did that and tell me how you did it. And if the story is just you were playing with a bunch of people that are dummies, well, actually, right. that's kind of what the story would have to be, right? Right. Uh, or it's a three-player game, and yes, you gained two support for the thrones. Okay, well, that's not an Infinity Gauntlet. That's... right. It's an infinity hoof. You know, though, I still would be down to hear that story because what's so funny Mm -hmm. to me about if you have everybody's support for the throne is that you can't activate anybody. There's no one on the table (laughs) that you can activate. So it would have to be very temporary. I don't know. Anyways, somebody's done that. Tell us about it. We'll talk about it next episode. Um, So, yeah, let's just throw throw that one away for now. That one's not important with support for the throne, really, because it's so goofy. Um, You can't really peddle it. Uh, right. And and the reason you can't is because you're not in control of whether you get it back or not, really. Right. Or, well, I mean, you are, but... You, you can kind of become in control of it, but they still have some control of the situation. The, the bigger thing, though, is uh, support for the throne is unique in that uh, no other promissory note immediately hits the table the second you get it from someone else. That is true. Every other card you play, and then maybe it's played face up in your area. Support for the throne, when you gain it, you put it face down. Which is to say, for people who don't know this, you can't gain someone else's support for the throne and then trade it to somebody else. Right. It's in your play area, one and done, it stays there. Um. So, because of that nature, because it can't ever move again until the effect is triggered... It, you can't peddle it. It's not going anywhere. It's it's stuck with you. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about that market value. Yeah. Let's talk about what this thing's worth. That would be like if we were doing the episode uh, about support for the throne where we talk about it for three hours, the episode title would be the market value <laughs> of support for the throne. Right. Uh, so to get one thing out of the way, uh, what we almost always see is a support for the throne is worth one support for the throne. Right. So uh, that the, that's the more support, or less. <laughs> the, the support swap uh, has only gotten more popular, yeah, it's felt it like, has. in Twilight and, Imperium. And if you've been listening to the show a long time, you know that we used to be a little meh, and especially me, I was like not into it at all. Um, and I still don't love it. I don't love that it happens, but I will do it. And and if anything, too, what has, what has developed in the meta, I think, for experienced players is... It's kind of important to get it out fast uh, because being the first player to establish a support for the throne relationship with someone else, a swap support for the throne trade, um, usually what follows that first set is everybody else doing it. And what that usually means is two people do it very comfortably. Two people are like, "Ah, I guess we'll do it. And then two people kind of have to bend over backwards to make the support for the throne swap. And you never want to be the person who's bending over backwards to do the support for the throne swap. So think about the game as a game that plays to nine and you need to make an not an alliance, but you need to make this swap at some point in the game and you should probably try to get it done with sooner rather than later. This is not true in all metas, but when it starts to happen, it seems to happen that way every time. Can I Once people start doing support for the throne swaps, it really just jumps through the atmosphere. Yeah, and and I think given the current state of the game, I am I th- I think we were very like kind of kind of bearish on 
support for the throne swaps um in that what we didn't we we didn't see it as like a really smart move or or i don't know there was just something about it that like ticked us off that we didn't like yeah um well i'll tell you exactly what ticks me off about it is the thing the thing earlier of the the fear factor i hate being in a situation where i am now closed off yeah. from options in the late game if i need one more uh, planet with one trait and the only option is through my neighbor with my support for the throne uh or th- that i have their support for the throne i should say that that's now an issue yeah, i, you, I you can't don't, gain you don't that want point it to, that i could have gained to bite you in the butt but i have a more overall game reason that i don't love support swaps even though they do happen and i think I don't think people are being dumb when they do it. But here, right. here's what I actually don't like it, like about it from a meta kind of overall game perspective. When you when support for the throne swaps are really common, what I've noticed is that generally speaking, there's enough points to go around that you can win without achieving any of the stage twos. Yeah. And that kind of bums me out a little bit. We've got right. we've got five available uh for stage one and then there's yep. three your three secret objectives and then your support it brings you up to nine which means you only need other, one other weird point right to win without claiming any of the really hard exactly. objectives if you and took I, the custodians I, token you're already in yeah there. yeah you're ready custodians, to go if you get a single imperial mechatol point you're you're ready to go right and i just feel like that's a little that's a little bit of a shame sometimes and i i've actually mm. noticed i think a lot of games where that happens, where the player that won didn't accomplish any of the like really crazy hard objectives, but did accomplish like they got really good secrets, they got a mechatol point, they got a support for the throne swap, and then yep. it was done. I think it in it's weird because it almost feels like with if so, support for the throne wasn't in the game, I think you would see a lot more people having to contend with the stage twos. Yep, definitely. Uh and it's I mean, like that's all the more reason to play more line. 14ers. Right. Yeah. And But I feel like it's like literally just on the line where support for the mm-hmm. throne is the thing that kind of pushes it up to where, all right, well, now we can probably get this right. done. Well, because you got to add in to all the all the agendas that give you victory points. And at least one of those comes up in almost every game. At least one. Sure, sure. Um, so I don't, yeah, I don't I, even I, think that. I mean, I, I think the Mechatol point is enough that generally speaking, like, if you do a support yeah. swap, you could plan to not accomplish any stage twos. And then if you happen to, you know, like I, I find that I am less and less planning to accomplish any of the stage twos except yeah. for the ones that are easy. Um, right, exactly. So like, I don't, I don't worry about, oh, am I in a good position to do the tech spec one? I don't right. even worry about it. I'm like, cause right. I'm, I know I'm probably not gonna be able to do it anyways. And it's okay. Well, I've, I've done a support swap. Right. I can make a move for Mechatol, get that last point or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And that's all the more reason to do that support swap early, because when you get past five points, it's going to be very, very difficult to do a support swap because mm-hmm. people are going to be counting out your pathway to get to 10 points. They're going to go, well, if I give you this point and you score a Mechatol point and a stage one and a secret, oh my gosh, you're like, you know, you're basically there already. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you do your support swap when everyone is still sitting at two or three points, nobody really cares or thinks about the consequences. Right, right. Um, so if anything, and I, I hate to say this, because I, I, again, I don't like doing it, but it has become such a nature of the beast. When that first agenda phase comes up, whenever it is, 
I think that's when you should be trying to do a support for the throne swap. And that's when you mostly see it. Because the biggest thing for me, too, is I personally don't want to trade my support for the throne with my neighbor. Now, yeah. some people do want to do that because what that does is it establishes a solid border. You have one safe side, right, where the two of you aren't going to really dip into each other's stuff. But I would rather have access to that stuff in the late game, like I was saying earlier, yeah. of like, I don't want to be pigeonholed into only being able to accomplish objectives in one direction. If I can trade my support for the throne with the person across the map from me, I'm very rarely going into their territory and I would rather have my two neighbors available to me. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes I have this, the, I'm just going to go into something specific between me and you. Uh, sometimes I get this feeling that you prioritize control objectives a little bit too much, yeah. like in that way. But then I kind of, the more I think about it, the more I realize that most of the time control objectives are the one that by luck of the draw, you're just not going to be able to win. Those right. are the ones that like when they come up, it's hard. It's just they're the hardest ones to accomplish. Yeah. They're the hardest ones, but but also if you get into an early game situation, they're the ones where if if you find a path to do it in round two or three, mm -hmm. I stretch myself thin to do it because I can get it done and be completely out of the way with it. And that's when I, I that's when I will try to give up my support for the throne Sometimes. to make that now, positioning. Well, I'm I'm gonna put a little asterisk on that, sure, it, because some sometimes that's how it works out. Sometimes when you stretch yourself early. It like ruins that. my whole game. Yeah, yeah because it, it, it could make you... A t it could, the meta can turn against you Absolutely. doing that. Uh, I feel like the only, the only way I've ever seen people get control objectives in an easy way is the, is the swap, is the control objective trade. Yeah. That's the only meta way I feel like to do it. Right. Man, we've really gone right. all over the place with the support for the throne. Uh, well, I, it's just it's, the biggest... It is so the biggest huge. deal. Yeah. It, it's, it's because it is a point, it means it is at this point integral to the game it is part of the game you have to plan out how you're going to get that point in the same way you need to plan out every other point now Matt, if anything scoring someone else's support for the throne is one of your objectives yeah in yeah. the game um i'm i'm gonna do a little james lipton uh pre-interview okay. coming into the interview kind of thing in the voice please uh no uh <laughs> there's absolutely no way <laughs> Although, uh, you know what? I was watching uh, Robin Williams uh, inside the actor's studio the other day. Uh, that is one of the greatest interviews yeah, ever. Anyways. Ever. Right. Um, <laughs> moving on. Uh, Matt, how do you feel about trading support for the throne for anything other than support for the throne? Because I feel um, like you you kind of have a... You're a little more prone to that, I feel like, than I'm most players. I'm down for it, yeah. Yeah. If I see the path where it gets me a point, I, I'm into it. I mean, a point for a point is kind of the way I, I think about it. And and even if it's like a little bit of a long term, like maybe I, I'll even do it if it's not going to get it for me this round. But if it gives me the pathway to definitely get that point next round or something, mm -hmm. I'm usually a little bit keen to, to give it a go. Um, if anything, I, I so much dislike doing the support for the throne swap. I would rather give up my support for the throne for some other favor and get a support for the throne later for giving up a favor. You know what I mean? I, I would yeah. rather, do, even if it ends up being a swap, I would rather both of us have done some other kind of deal to get there. Yeah. See, I think I think that's interesting though because I, I feel like the way the math has worked out is if you don't do a swap, you're running into that problem of like, well, you just might, ha you might end up in a position where you need a stage two yeah. and the stage two's are less reliable than the stage ones right. and even the secrets. I think there are more secrets that are easier to accomplish than 
than the stage twos are. And I think it just has to do with the very small slice of stage twos that you encounter. Whereas right. secrets are a lot more manip, you know, you draw three of them. Well, okay. There's one that you can't do. We'll get a new one. You know what I mean? Right. Like, right. So I don't know. Yeah. That's a, that's, yeah. So that's a big one. Big, that's it, a big could, thing. could you assign outside of another support for the throne? Could you assign any other value to a support for the throne? I don't know that I can. I, I can't think of what else it would be worth beyond just like point for a point. If it's not for a support for the drone, it better be for a positional advantage that earns you a point or well, for the resources you need to get a point. I'm already kind of uh, regretting our contextual like note at the top of the episode because I, I kind of feel like we're going to then just restate it sure. on all of these cards. But I do think support for the throne is a really good example of a card that you would only trade for itself or depending on your game, contextually, if it, if if what you need is so important that it's worth giving yep. up a point, then you should do that. Right, I, absolutely. I, I think you kind of laid out a pretty good gu- guideline already, though, of like, it still should sort of be a point for a point. If you're right. trading it for something that isn't going to lead to you getting a point, that's pretty bad. So maybe yeah. the market If you're value... just trading it for four trade goods and you don't need those four trade goods specifically, mm-hmm. you're just like, I want four trade goods. I'll give you a point for it. That feels like a really strange, not very good deal. Yeah. Basically. So maybe the market value is, instead of saying the market value is another support for the throne, maybe the market value is a victory point. One victory point. So yeah, it, I think so. Yeah. I think that's probably a good rule of thumb. And then somebody's going to point out, well, here's a situation where I traded it and it was right and I didn't get a point, but it was still the right thing to do. That's also true. So yeah. what even are we doing? What even are we for? <laughs> what even is the point of this conversation? <laughs> well, let's, let's go into the next one uh, because we could continue to talk about support for the throne forever unless we stop ourselves. Mm-hmm. So uh, next up is probably the most traded promissory note in the entire game. <laughs> it literally has the word trade in it. So. It's the trade agreement. Uh, so... Uh, when the blank player, every time I say blank, it's the color that which you are receiving the card from. I'm not going to explain that. You get it. When the blank player replenishes commodities, the blank player gives you all of their commodities, then return this card to the blank player. So you get their commodities instead of them getting their commodities. Yes. Uh, we talked about Uh, this card very much in the, uh, trading with Hakan episode. mm -hmm. Um, so I don't want to go back over any of the like etiquette when it comes to trading it. Sure. Um, market value question is nebulous. I want to. <laughs> I want to call. Yeah, it's nebulous. But I, what I'm trying to do with a trade agreement is to earn my trade value, my commodity value plus one. Ideally, sure. the main person who starts peddling in trade agreements is the person who's about to play trade, right? They, they're they the ones trying to get all the trade agreements because they get to decide who replenishes. So you're trying to gain that value. I want to gain yours and give up a little bit less for it. Yeah, that's what the idea of the etiquette trades are. If you're buying a trade agreement completely outside of the bounds of the trade timing, then I don't even know what to tell you. You're probably trying to trade it for essentially your commodity value, whatever well, your faction's commodity value is. So yeah, yeah. That, I mean, I think that's the goal. That that's what you should. That's what you should be shooting for is the the equal trade. The the I'm giving yeah. you my trade agreement and you're giving me trade goods equal to my commodity value. My but right. a lot of times that's not how it's going to work out, and you're going to have to you're going to have to take it for one less or whatever. So you're you're yeah. extra. And somebody will give you three trade goods for your commodity. So they they get four, you get three. 
Um, right. That's not so bad. That's not like, that's not, I, I wouldn't say it's bad play to accept that deal. Um, no. It's also kind of weird to talk about within the context of this conversation, we're talking about trade agreements from the perspective of the person giving the card away. Yeah. Uh, where honestly, the leverage is always kind of on the other person. The person buying your trade agreement is the one with the leverage because they traditionally have the trade strategy card, meaning they have all the power. So can we maybe talk about trading your trade agreement outside of the trade strategy card world? And what What, does that look like? What situations are you trading it out then? I think it is almost always um, tacking on to something else. Mm -hmm. You don't have trade goods right now. Uh, I have one trade good. Whatever I'm asking you for, I know has like a set value. Let's say it's, I want you to, to activate a system and send a destroyer there so that you and I can trade mm-hmm. later on or whatever so that we can be neighbors. Well, that activation of yours costs you a command counter. So I want to pay you for that command counter by giving you my trade agreement. I'll give you my trade agreement now if you come towards me and then we can whatever. We we can now be neighbors for the rest of the game. That's a weird example, but like That is a weird. That's example. how that's how I think about it is when you are just giving it up to someone, it's be, I mean, it, it literally is a loan. That's that's the whole purpose of the trade agreement. And so you're usually giving it to them for more than you would be giving it to to them right now. Yeah, I would pay you two trade goods for this right now. I don't have two trade goods, but I do have three commodity value. I'll give you my trade agreement. So you're going to get three later, which is more than I would have paid if I was paying you right now. Yeah, that's that's probably an effective way to... Because to, your trade agreement is always something... It's fun to give it out because sometimes people won't even really get to cash it in. But right. it, what's not very fun is to not have access to your trade agreement anymore. Because right. somebody just has it and isn't spending it. So right. there is kind of a weird, there's a weird, with the loan stuff, it can get kind of strange. Uh, and also people can trade your trade agreement around and stuff like that, which is, that's that's really fun. I was kind of looking for something more like, I think, this might be a little too abstract to say, but generally speaking, if there is a vote happening in the agenda phase, oh, interesting, and yeah. you need my votes, I will probably give you all of them but one, as long as this is, you know, let's say I'm just a bystander yeah. in the agenda. Uh, it, it's n- neither really for or against. I, I don't care either way. And you need it to go your way. I would probably almost always give you all but one of my votes for your trade agreement. Even if your trade, even if your commodity value is low, I probably would still do it. Um, right. It's, I think, my favorite agenda phase. Somebody's trying to bargain with me. Here's a trade agreement kind of right. thing. Because uh, I think it's yeah. the I think it's the biggest one people offer. I mean, people only throw support for the throne out there in a in an agenda phase kind of voting situation if that agenda is going to destroy them. Um, right. In which case, it's really hard to talk about in this context because maybe destroying that player is worth it to me. I don't know. Like yeah, yeah. But uh, there there was a I always I, I I don't know if I've talked about this too many times on the show, but there was a time that EJ needed. It was in that the holiday spectacular where EJ needed two people to support him in his vote, and I was up first. Yeah. And uh, This is the one that hurt me very yeah, badly. Yeah, this was the, one, this on. was the public execution <laughs> one that, that really hurt yeah. you. And he locked it down with, he. I was first, he did trade agreement first, and then support for the throne second, and then had, it, had yeah. all the votes locked. And right. I just thought it was the perfect 
offer. Value. And every time yeah. someone has brought it up, I've always just been like, yeah, I would totally love a trade agreement right. for this. Because that first person's votes are always tricky to use anyways. So it is kind of like, that's about as much as you can offer. And it's not a bad offer. It's like, I, I'll take a trade agreement for a vote I don't care about. Mm-hmm. With you knowing full well that my votes may not be the final say in this yeah because when you get a trade agreement outside of the trade strategy card there's still a little bit of work to be done yes like that that's that's kind of maybe maybe I, i'm kind of putting those points together now and saying that in the agenda phase if i get a trade agreement i i i like it but it, it's not like everything's done and over it's not it's not like right. you literally just gave me trade goods um right but i still i still dig it because it's only going to help me and I could still sell your trade agreement to somebody else um, for the the legit cash. So like that's that's the other right. thing is if I get a trade agreement outside of the trade strategy card uh, kind of time, I can still give that to somebody else for their trade goods. Like whenever they right. use the trade strategy card. So I don't know. Right. Right. Well, Hunter, here's my question for you. Can you pedal it? Yeah. So I think we sort of answered that. And that yeah, you can, definitely. but you need to be careful. Right. Um, that it but you should absolutely be trying. You sh- what you should be trying to do is get it out there every single time trade is played. If trade is played, yes. whoever has trade, you need to do a trade agreement swap for- with them. Outside of that, yeah, it's a little bit like, eh, get it out there. But it sucks to have them hold on to it for a long time. So try to get it to the person who's probably going to get trade next, right? Or is like definitely going to have an excuse to get you replenished or whatever. Like you, you want to try to get it to be as sure of a thing as you possibly can. I wonder, Oh, never mind. I, I, I had a, I had a funny idea and then realized that it made absolutely no sense. I was, <laughs> I, what I was going to say here, I'll just air my dirty laundry real quick. Okay. Uh, what I was going to say, I was like, Oh, I wonder if it would be effective to buy Hakan's trade agreement and then never use it. But that's not how Hakan works because they get to refresh yeah. for free automatically. They can kind of just decide to do it. Yeah. So yeah. never mind. Shut well, up, Hunter. That's, Shut that's up, last, Hunter. That is the last point, though, to talk about with trade agreement is this is the one global uh, object or a prom- promissory note that does change in value. A a player with a two commodity faction, the Barony Aletnev's trade agreement is pretty hard to get out there, whereas Hakan's trade agreement is like cake. It's just you can't help people ask for it every single time it's trade comes up. Mm-hmm. So that that's that is kind of an important factor to know is, you know, understand what faction you're playing and recognize that if it's hard to get your trade agreement out when you're a two commodity faction, you shouldn't be surprised by that. Like people you, you are going to always be the last person considered. Yeah, there's there's always going to be a um, kind of very obvious pecking order yeah. of prom of the trade agreement promissory note and depending on which faction you're playing that determines your place in that order uh, it's obviously just like a four three two kind of thing unless yeah. you're hakan um right but yeah i mean i i think there are depending on the factions though you being a two commodity uh faction might be fine like that that yeah like if if everybody else is twos and threes right it's it's purely relative to what everybody else has mm-hmm. if everybody at the table has four and you have two you're probably screwed if there's one player with four and everybody has two you're gonna be fine you'll figure it out yeah yeah i i i agree uh let's talk about the infinity gauntlet for trade yeah. agreements this uh, is this is where people first started talking about the infinity gauntlet this is mm-hmm. people people were actively trying to accomplish this the the trade agreement infinity gauntlet was really the only infinity gauntlet for for a while mm-hmm. in the meta um 
and it's the best. It's it's definitely worth trying to accomplish. Uh, if you know you're going to be speaker next round and you already plan to take trade, start working on getting trade agreements. I've, Doing I've, favors I've done for it. people, people, et cetera. You know, get, get whatever you can out there so that you can get everyone's trade agreements. Because if you can pop trade, gain three trade goods, and then gain like 11 more trade goods, it's very good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, I would say, though, it's a little like... Sometimes it feels like, oh, what's the point? Uh, it's just cool that you're getting it all at once. But presumably you had to trade, you know, a lot with and get already give up yeah, a lot of things to get probably the gauntlet. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's pretty yeah. cool. But I think strategically um, the infinity gauntlets for political secret and ceasefire are crazier are to me. Better. Yeah. Whereas with trade agreements like, yeah, you just made a bunch of deals and now you're cashing yeah. it all in. at once. If anything, what you really want to be able to do is pop one or two trade agreements every single round rather than get all of them at once. Because for most people, if you're if you're holding on to them that long, it's very rare that you get all five trade agreements in one round. You know, that's just that's very, very, very rare. What I truly think is cool about this idea, actually, now that now that I really think about it, is uh, if somebody got everyone's trade agreements and I didn't realize that that that's what they were doing. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like, it just that's, happened. That's upon kind them. of that's the cool aspect of it because if you're kind of slyly getting other people's trade agreements and nobody's really thinking about it and then you cash them in all at once, then what that means is that people were not um, factoring in all of the other dealings you've already done. Um, There's a tendency, I think, to, if someone has a giant hoard of trade goods, to ask for more of them, obviously. like th- th- So I think there is like maybe a a meta strategy in like, I'm just going to slowly accrue the trade agreements, not spend them all at once, just kind of save them up. And then, bam, hey, guess what? Right. I actually had a bunch of money always and you didn't even realize it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I, I I think that is maybe the smart reason to go for the right. trade agreement infinity gauntlet. Well, and the, the other thought there too that you kind of bring up is the, the idea that just gaining a, a few trade goods every round is nice, but at the end of the day, the best thing trade goods are used for is having like 10 or more to spend on objectives in the late game, and it's especially nice when you can just swing into that and like suddenly have 16 resources that nobody can do anything about. Um, so I think it is worth uh, banking a bunch, just holding on to them so that people aren't able to trade them out. If you're able to stockpile them in the first few rounds, sit on those for a little bit, Bank them all. The biggest thing, too, this this is too specific to actually strategize around, but if you can hold on to a bunch of trade agreements until the agenda economic equality comes out, yeah. and then like, oh, oh all this terrible stuff happens, then you spike right back up to a bunch of trade goods, that is like a super ideal situation. But even if you're not, you know, you can't really predict the economic equality situation, but in general, saving a bunch of trade agreements for the late game where you can then turn them all on your opponents and go, oh, look, you guys can't stop me from scoring 16 resources. I'm going to win the game now. That's, that's like the best play you can do with trade agreements. Yeah, but that's a lot of like foresight that you're having yeah, to employ is. for that to be like a huge payoff. But I I could see a general rule of, how about this? Let's, let's do like a very moderate version of what you're saying. Um, yeah. Let's say that if I'm, if it's early game and I'm buying, let's say one of the factions at the table that has like a lower value promissory note, let's say I'm buying a two commodity uh, trade agreement from somebody, maybe just keep it. 
maybe don't spend it right away. It's only yes, worth right. two. You know what I mean? It's 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 not that big of a deal if you use it or not use it. You can still right. you know buy somebody else's, so one of the, one of the bigger fish, uh, and right. or maybe literally the Jolnar, uh, and go for you know go for that for now, um, and then just kind of see how things go, knowing all the all the while you basically got two trade goods in the bank that you're just not right. spending yet. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, I I agree with that. There's the only limit to that is if you have trade, you probably want to pop every trade agreement you have because you don't you can't guarantee the next time you're going to have trade. And there's nothing worse than having to pay the person who has trade to pop other people's trade agreements so that you can gain their commodities. That's not fun. You want to gain the full value of everybody's commodities. Sure, sure. So but, so do it when you have trade. But, but but what we're talking about is games where you you feel a need to be sneaky about how much money yes. you have. And right. so so let's say if that if that is on your mind for some reason contextually, um then then what you just described, Matt, I feel like is your fallback plan if that doesn't pay off. Your fallback plan right. could be well, I'll just have to deal with the. It's what I'm saying is that if you buy somebody's promissory note, somebody's trade agreement, and you decide to keep it because it feels like the right thing to do right now, you can still get something for it later down the road. You're, yeah. It's never going to get you nothing in the end, right? Basically, or it right. shouldn't, anyways. It, right. it should ideally. Uh, all right. So next up is the weirdest of the generic uh, promissory notes, and that's political secret. When an agenda is revealed, the blank player cannot vote, play action cards, or use faction abilities until after that agenda has been resolved, then return this card to the blank player. So mm-hmm. cut one person out of an agenda altogether. Now This one, I, I never see used like very effective with intent. Yeah. With, with, it's just like... You need me to sweeten the pot a bit more? Th- three trade goods wasn't enough? Well, I have a political secret. Here you go. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a card that I think... I think everyone is kind of uh, like we were in the first six months of Twilight Imperium mm-hmm. about all promissory notes. I think we are still this way with political secret. I think there's potential here that is yet to yes. be unlocked. Agreed. But mostly because people just... The market value of it is really... Uh, I don't know how much it's worth ever. Like whenever right. someone offers it to, me, I always feel like it's not worth very much. Always, I'm always like, well, that's not worth very yeah. much. Um, right. So yeah, I mean, I do feel like people use it the way you're describing. Like, oh, it's just kind of to to sweeten the pot. But I don't even know how much it sweeten the sweetens the pot most of the time. Right. It, you, it's I, if anything, like I literally consider it as like one more trade good. Even though, like, I wouldn't buy a political secret for one trade good. I wouldn't just sell it for one trade good. But if my three trade good offer wasn't enough and I don't have a fourth trade good, the political secret might do it. Yeah, it's just weird, too, though, because like even though we're saying like, oh, it doesn't feel like it has much value. Uh, it it also sounds like contextually it can like crush like it can it's be, gonna like, be a big deal. Yeah. Well, and, and here's where the strategy with it then comes in is it's if if you're a really smart player and you don't see this very often, I'm not even saying everybody's a dumb player, but I'm just saying this is like a whole next level of thinking to be, to have the presence of mind to get to this place. But if you can make a point to get the player on Mechatol Rex's political secret or like whoever has the most influence, if you can get their political secret, that's a huge amount of control you'll probably get yourself yeah, sure. in, in, a, in a later agenda. The, the issue with it is you're only going to cut one person 
out of an agenda. Sure. And that usually never guarantees you anything, which is why Political Secret isn't worth that much. You know what I think is kind of lame about it, though, is that you could get screwed over out of using the, like, just by the seating order, Political Secret can be neutralized even. So, like, let's say uh, to my right or whatever is the extra player. Yeah. Uh, so that means, and and le- or well, let's just make it easy. Let's say uh, extra is my neighbor. They're the speaker. All right. I have their political secret. Something comes out that I don't want them quashed. Well, too bad. Extra They're gets to quash, quash it, it before right. I could use their political secret on them, even though I have it. So it doesn't right. matter. You know what yeah, I mean? That's that, that is that's what frustrates that me about it. So it's like, yeah, if if we're talking about abilities, anyways, obviously, you know, with the with the voting itself. I, I, I kind of just wish there was a way to stop people from using agenda abilities, maybe in addition to political secret. Right. Um, because, yeah, that, that seating order can really muck it up. I've been in that situation, in fact. Yeah. Where I was yeah. like, oh, I want to be able to stop this extra from vetoing this because they don't want it. And I have their political secret, but it doesn't matter because yeah. they're, they, and they weren't even, they were just before me. They weren't right. the speaker. They just happened to be seating in the, sitting in the yeah. right place. Um, so there's a lot of things that make it a weak card just because it, it's it, it very rarely does something obviously for you. Right, you know what I mean? Right. It's very rarely like you definitely gained something from this. It's 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 just like, oh, you maybe maybe you eked yourself out a better opportunity at getting the agenda that you want. Mm-hmm. But that that's why it's just not worth very much, because not only is it not worth much once you play it. To have be buying it around before that time, that means it's worth even less because it's the promise of maybe getting some value out of it. But um, so, like, let's let's talk about maybe the things. So, I, I you've already called out Mechatol Rex um, as hey, that's that's a reason. Uh, if, some, yeah. if somebody has Mechatol Rex, that's that means their political secret is worth more than other people's. Um, right. Another would be, I mean, I I think extra in general, uh, it's worth more. Uh, yeah, especially if you're sitting correctly. If you're not sitting correctly, then bummer. But yeah, it, it will be necro. Necro, sure. Necro's an important one. Yeah, that that's an interesting one because yeah, as long as well, actually, necro's ability is after, so you'll always go before. Yes, you'll uh, always get to do it. You'll always get to cancel. Uh, so yeah, you, you could use it. Copy a tech. You could use it to, to stop necro's uh, faction ability. Um, What's something else you could if you, if you know some for some reason if you know somebody has veto I guess uh, that would be weird right. if you knew that. Well, but. the the bigger thing too in my mind is you can I, I would if I get a political secret my intent is to save it until some late game agendas and kick people out of things like shard of the throne or mutiny. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If mutiny comes up and I can play the political secret of the player who is at nine. Well, now we don't even have to worry about that person's votes factoring into this and we can like make it work another way or or, it, you know, if, if I know I can gain the advantage, if I get rid of so and so's votes, I can secure shard of the throne for myself. Those are the best case scenarios for mm-hmm. political secret. It's less about shutting a specific faction out and it's more about shutting a specific player during this specific agenda out of this to give myself an edge. I, I I'm having a thought about the value of political secret because, and I, and I'm going to try this next time I play. Uh, I, th- it just occurred to me, uh, that the other besides, so before when I was talking about promissory notes is the system where players 
very much express themselves in their individual play style. The other yeah. place that they do that is in the agenda phase. So there might be a logic to, and this might be dumb, but I'm going to think about this in the future, um, <laughs> just listening to other people and right. then trying to get the political secret of somebody that just makes a lot of moves in the agenda phase. Right. Like those are the ones that might be uh, like worth it. Matt, does that make sense? Like, like yes, that, that, that maybe that's a good way to think about it. Uh, somebody that isn't making a lot of moves in the agenda phase, uh, you know, cause like the other thing is people that are really good at the meta and, and table talk th- uh, during the agenda phase, they, they can stretch their votes yes. further than maybe yeah. somebody that doesn't talk as much. So shutting them out and being like, you are not going to affect this at all. That right. That is maybe worth it more. Another thing that goes along right. with that type of player is that they are probably game for a political secret trade of some kind. If they yeah, think exactly. I don't know. This just might be a way to unlock political secret a little bit. Um, I think what you're what you're getting at is political secret requires a little bit extra meta analysis to to play really effectively. Yeah, a trade agreement you're going to get some money out of a support for the throne you're getting a point. Political secret you're cutting a crucial person out of a vote that you're looking to gain an advantage on. That requires you to be very aware of how that person plays and how they talk. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll say this actually here's here's a fun way to look at it. I don't think my political secret is really worth that much. I'm not I'm not huge on the agenda phase. Um, I would say I'm kind of on the on the lower the the lower spectrum of people that make a lot of plays in the agenda phase. Um, yeah. Schroeder, right? Probably a worthwhile political secret every single every right. single game with them. I think that there might be a player to player value for uh, political secret. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting though is that all being said, uh, for the can you pedal it? Uh, yeah, you can pedal it. I mean, I yeah. guess it's just not worth very much, but you can definitely. Well, yeah, the pro the problem with pedaling it too is how often are people going to use it? For a card to be pedaled, you need to get it back into your supply. Oh, that's often. a good point. Yeah. So I don't know that you are going to pedal it very often because you're probably going to give it out and then maybe never see it again because the person's going to wait for the perfect opportunity to play it and that may never come up. Yeah, that's that's another weird thing about political secret is that if I get it. There's always an opportunity cost even of using it that sucks. Yes. Of just me being like, well, this vote isn't crucial, but I could use right. it. But right. should I really? I mean, because <laughs> honestly, honestly, if I use it and I and then they get it back and they get even a single trade good for it again, well, now that's one trade good they got that I right. <laughs> gave them. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah, it's this card is tough. Like we could we could do a whole episode about this card and it would be like it would be called like the episode where they give themselves headaches. Uh, <laughs> Cause it just, I don't know. I just, I this sometimes just too much. Sometimes I love it. And sometimes I like, well, most of the time I really don't like it very yeah. much. Um, I love trying to, to get something out of it. I love including it in trades because I don't expect anybody to, to use it. So my main goal with it is to get something big out of it. Like, here, here's my best case scenario for when I'm trying to trade Political Secret is you and I are both trying to curry the favor of one other player. We both only have three trade goods, so we're both really only going to be able to trade trade goods. And like our other promissory notes aren't like it's not a good time for them or you're not willing to give up like a ceasefire. If I can be the first person to offer three trade goods in a promissory note, I'll probably get 
I'll probably get the deal. Yeah. Because if I go three trade goods and a promissory note and you go, oh, well, I'll do three trade goods and also the political secret, then it just doesn't, it doesn't look, it looks worse for you. Usually the first person to make the deal gets the deal if it's, if it's all things equal. So I love to just like jump the gun and toss it into to deals because you, you might, you know, you might make your make your way out of it. Yeah. I also think it, that political secret might be um, a very good card to uh, extort from someone that you actually uh-huh. don't intend on attacking at all. Because right. if if someone was like threatening me and I was like, ah, oh, dang, and I'm like taking their threat seriously and they asked yeah. for a political secret in order to just That's like leave me cost. alone i would just like toss it right at him i'd just be like yeah. oh there you go i i would yeah. i i would probably very easily let someone extort political secret from me which is probably what you would have to do if you wanted to get the infinity gauntlet of political, political secrets secret. but also yeah. of all the infinity gauntlets probably the easiest one to get um probably the easiest one to get and absolutely the most effective one yeah like the be- it is the best infinity gauntlet technically mm-hmm. speaking i mean i guess five points from support for the throne is great but being able to cancel literally every single person out of a vote and guaranteeing yourself like like if it's mutiny and you can keep everyone else out of the vote so that you gain the only mutiny point that's great or if you can guarantee yourself crown of yeah. infidia those types of things are amazing um so Obviously, very wonderful to get the Infinity Gauntlet. Here's well, I don't know how wonderful it is because we're we're kind of theory crafting it a little bit. But in order to play the Infinity Gauntlet of Political Secret, um, you are going to have to play them one at a time. So if they know you have the Infinity Gauntlet, if anybody that's one of those situations like um, if anybody has an action card that can throw you off, like like let's say an agenda comes out and you're like, this is the perfect agenda. And everybody knows you have the Infinity Gauntlet. Comes around to your first your first turn to play it. You play one of them, and then any like if if they realize what you're doing, yeah. And any one of those players has veto, then it's over. It's over. So like yeah. that that's what I mean is that political secret is there's a lot of cool potential there, but by nat- by the nature of how the game is structured etiquette wise, I think there's a lot of ways to even if you have a really cool idea of how to use political secret you could get screwed over by really simple stuff yeah you know i agree with that i agree there's always going to be something that gets in the way of a great political secret play it's very Mm -hmm. hard to get a play of the week that is because someone did something cool with political secret yep yep i i just think it's yeah there's a lot of weird uh like mix-ups and and maybe some people are kind of like well like that that's really random that someone would have veto but like i always look for those situations in twilight imperium where uh, it seems like something is kind of unlikely, but if you think about it, if the whole table has a reason to want something, then right. the chances of that thing happening are very high because we're talking about a situation now where there's one player that wants something to go one way and five players that don't want it to, meaning that right. if if the card exists in any of those hands, which is a lot more likely than if it exists in one person's hand, right? So it's like yeah. anytime there's a situation where it's the table versus one person, we now have five hands of action cards where the card that defeats this play may exist, which is actually very likely that that's going to be somewhere versus you just are the one person with that card that you need, right? Yeah, yeah. for sure, for sure. Uh, well, we've got one more generic up. We've already been going. We've been going hard at it uh, with with these, but these are the ones that you see the most action with. So that's right. why these are very long conversations to have. And the last one is ceasefire, 
Ceasefire is after the blank player activates a system that contains one or more of your units, the blank player cannot move units into the active system, then return this card to the blank player. Uh, Ceasefire is in, is is very powerful, very good, um, but also can be easily baited, I want to yeah. say. That, yeah. That's kind of how I want to phrase that, is like, I can get your Ceasefire and then immediately burn it and not care. If I'm Necro, pff, Ceasefire is nothing to me. Because I, I, I'll have a command counter to burn at some point. Right. But ceasefire is the thing that leads to the, the fun princess bride scenarios <laughs> where you activate a system and the person goes, mm, is this the one? Is this, the, is this a, are you tricking me? Or are you actually going to send a bunch of stuff into the system and, and do a lot of damage? Um, so the thing, the important thing to note here, I see this question all the time. Ceasefire, you don't have to play it. If someone activates your system yeah. that has your ceasefire or that you have their ceasefire, you don't have to play it. It's in your hand. Everything that's in your hand is optional for you to play. Um, so that's why that Princess Bride scenario comes up with it. Um, so, you know, the person activates your home system. You have to seriously consider, are they actually going to be able to do a bunch of damage to my home system? Or are they doing that to scare me so that I trigger their ceasefire? Then they activate Aaron Amir and take that. And that's what they actually wanted all along. Right, right. Yeah, there's also a situation. Like, I I find more often than that, uh, what happens is all like all of what you just said is a factor, except for it's very obvious what is happening, and there is mm-hmm. there is not a secret aspect to it. It's like, well, there's this place they could attack me, and there's this place, and so I got to use the ceasefire in one of those places, but I can't use it at both. Right. Um, it's a very like it, ceasefire is, I think, kind of kind of weirder it's definitely political secret and ceasefire i think are the two weirder ones versus uh trade agreement and support for the throne that are very like this is just how they work um and it's good because there because there are times ceasefire can be like just a little slip up for you or it could be the thing that won you the game at the very last moment right right and i would and more so like than political secret political secret like like i said there are a lot of little weird systems in the game that can trip up political secret, but that's not so for ceasefire. Ceasefire does no. give you something very concrete. Absolutely. Um, ceasefire for ceasefire is certainly my preferred alliance. Mm-hmm. People want to do support for the throne for support for the throne. I would rather do the temporary, let's do ceasefire for ceasefire. Now our borders are protected for a while until our command counter economies pick up and then a command counter becomes a resource I can burn. It doesn't matter. But for right. the, it's, a, it's a really great way to establish a rounds one through maybe even four alliance. You're probably not mm-hmm. going to just go wasting command counters in rounds one through four. No, probably um, not. So that's a really good way. If, you, if you're really afraid of like your Sardak nor neighbor, a ceasefire swap is not going to be bad. Yeah, I think, I think that, that ceasefire it, is basically tradable for almost anything i mean like it's it's, yeah and 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 again this one's very contextual because like there's there are some people you're not gonna sell your ceasefire to and there's some that you'll be okay with it Um, yeah but yeah like i feel like i would trade a ceasefire even for uh like maybe a political secret if if it was the right player you know right like here's my question for you yeah uh, if we were going to take all four of these and just rank them in value, just between the four of them, obviously support for thrones at the top, political secrets at the bottom, but where do you rate trade agreement versus ceasefire? Tra- Which one gets more value for trade you? agreement and then ceasefire? 
Yeah. Yeah. For me, that's, I, I that's was I was trying to come up with a reason to put ceasefire above trade agreement, no, and I'm no. just thinking maybe if I'm a two commodity faction and my trade agreement, or or I'm trading with someone who's a two commodity faction. If I'm trading with Barony, I probably would rather have their ceasefire than their trade agreement because Barony's going to do some damage to me, and I'm not going to get hardly anything for their trade agreement. Yeah, but it just it just feels weird because if you're if if you're fighting somebody, there's always. Generally speaking, there's always going to be more than one system that is vulnerable to yes, somebody. That is the problem. So the fact it. that it only stop it only stops one attack, it it almost feels like like there is no like we're allied like aspect to yes. Twilight Imperium, but it does kind of right. feel like there's support for the throne that feels like it's like turned up to eleven, and then there's ceasefire yeah. that feels like a two or a three. I kind of wish there was like a medium one, right? I kind well, of I think. Like, I- we have to be friendly for now, or like a like maybe a ceasefire yeah. across the board that lasts the whole round. Something that's like that. sort of how old trade agreements worked, right? Like in right. TI three, that's how a trade agreement felt. It was like, hey, we're kind of locked in together for mm-hmm. a while. We're we're buddies. Um, ceasefire. I think what you're describing is kind of why I love ceasefire mm-hmm. because that's the kind of alliances I want to have. Because right. I I just don't I don't buy into longer term alliances. I don't believe you when you say you're a part of a longer alliance with me because I know you want to win just as bad as I do. Right. Of course. So a one time effect. The the big thing here is it is going to burn your activation. So if you did this to me, at the very least, you've shown your hand of being aggressive. And if I can evaluate the board and go, ooh, I can make, I can, I can, you know, defend before their next turn or something like that. Like, there's lots of times where the ceasefire buys you just enough time to plan for the bigger problem. Okay, well, then maybe in discussing market value, it is very contextual and, and yes. what you need to be looking at is board position. That's, that's yeah. what determines the value. If, yeah. If you are, you know, if if you are, I don't know, like it 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 just depends on how many how many places are you trying to hit. Uh, is there a reason that you would need to attack them? Like, I don't know. It's yeah. I actually feel like I'm struggling the most to think about ceasefire than I am from the rest of them, which is kind of surprising me. But I think also ceasefire is such a funny card because people oftentimes buy it and forget to even use it. Right. I've even yeah, been in situations a, where I've somebody had my ceasefire and I knew they had it. And I was, and I needed to attack them in order to win, and I just prayed that they forgot, and they did forget, and then yeah. I won. And well, here's the best value to me in a ceasefire. Maybe not best, but cheekiest, most interesting. What I look for in games. My favorite thing to do with a ceasefire is to gain someone else's ceasefire and then sell it to somebody yeah, else. Right, right. Because now you've really gained something up on that initial player. If you take the blue player's ceasefire and then sell it to purple, there's a pretty decent chance that the blue player has no idea that you sold it to purple. Oh my so god. So you can really screw up blue's plans when they try to make some move on purple because you know and and you can make it a very intentional thing if you know that blue's plans are involved in getting into purple slice if you get it to purple you can really ruin blue's round Dude, by, that's, by doing that that's literally the best thing to do with the ceasefire always yeah. that's always gonna be it because they sold you their ceasefire they think you have it which is the right. same as you having it get, right you, exactly <laughs> yeah they're not they're going to play as if you have it so they're not going to activate your stuff to and waste a command counter they're going to go do their stuff elsewhere so if you the, so if anything too the best thing then to do is let's say it's me i'm the yellow player 
to my right is blue and to their right is purple, that's when I want to give it to purple because right. I have it. I give it to purple. They think I have it, so they can't go left. They want to go right, but now purple actually has it. I've really pigeon. I've like completely walled in blue for at least one round. That's like, a great and, play, and, and we're gonna be able to to you know pincer them in pretty effectively. I love that. That's the, all right. Well, that's the cool nugget from this episode: <laughs> is sell the ceasefires you buy right away. So here's, Here's the question: What is someone else's ceasefire worth? If my oh ceasefire my God, is so worth, much, so I don't know this weird higher. conditional thing, but yeah, it, it goes up a lot when it's like I'm selling you blues ceasefire. Hmm. Well, <laughs> I, I, it's a little bit contextual though. If somebody offers me sure. somebody else's ceasefire that I'm, I'm like, well, I, they're we're fine, me and that person. Yeah. Then like whatever. Yeah, you got you but, have to be intentional with who you give it to. You got to be smart about who you're selling. But having a surprise ceasefire, that's very good that's very <laughs> very very good so much you have so much more leverage if they don't know you have the ceasefire right. that you have because now you don't yeah i mean it's it can just be like you can leave yourself as open to them as possible and they're gonna yeah. see it and see an opportunity and hey guess what no there's not an opportunity here get out of here right get out of here um, so can you pedal it uh, not really, but here's the inv- here's the scenario I was just imagining uh, with peddling ceasefires is I buy blues ceasefire, then I sell blues ceasefire for purple ceasefire, then I sell purple ceasefire for yellow ceasefire. Like I I want to start peddling ceasefires in general. Yeah, right. That's a great. Rather idea. than peddling my own, I don't know if that could actually work, but that sounds like the best play of the week game to me of just someone who sat there and worked ceasefires the whole time to where it finally got to a point where it's just like, man, nobody knows where these things are anymore. Uh, no attack is safe. Everything could could fall down in front of you at any moment. That's pretty cool. That's that's definitely. Oh, man, I'm, I'm going to be thinking about that next time I play. Uh, it just <laughs> occurred to me that our our can you pedal it um, like category for all of these are is going to be a lot better category for the uh faction promissory notes oh, for sure for the generics it did not really make sense for any of them except for trade agreement no. but but there you go that's yeah. just how it goes do we have anything else to say about ceasefire i think it was uh, like infinity gauntlet is oh there, uh, my we God. saw it we saw one i've yeah. seen one ceasefire infinity gauntlet uh, that's a tough that's a tough one to get but if you can get it, holy cow, is it very, 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 very good. Yeah, that's uh, very especially good. if you're in the lead. If you're if you're in setting up for a win, this is the advantage to banking ceasefires all game and constantly trying to get them right. Uh, if anything, it's like the most important uh, um, infinity gauntlet just in terms of I can if I can manage to over the course of five rounds get everyone ceasefire in round six. If I'm at nine points and they're suddenly like, oh, we got to dogpile them. Uh, boom, ceasefire, boom, ceasefire, boom, ceasefire. Nobody gets to do anything. It's over. Uh, actually, though, the more I think about it, I think that that that's not that's not that good. That's not as good as you're making it sound, actually, because uh, I feel like we saw someone win a game that way. Though. Oh, yeah. We, no, we, I, I believe that. Right? C- contextually, that, that can totally happen. Uh, no, that was how the finals ended up, did it not? Right, I think so. Yeah, but... I still think that there there's possibly situations where if as long as one player can get you in two places, then you're then you're screwed, basically. Yeah, it's but still it, a problem. But it would stop people from dogpiling on you, which I mean, I'm not yeah. saying it's not a 
effective. It is effective. It's good. It's not I'm, foolproof. I, that's the problem. Yeah, it's, it's not foolproof. It's not foolproof. There we go. That and that's you know what? That's the really good take a fi- take away uh take a fire. That's about what I almost said. <laughs> that's the really good takeaway for ceasefire in general, is it is not foolproof. It it is not a it's not a super reliable card. Um yeah. it is more reliable than political secret and less reliable than trade agreement. That's where I'm gonna put yeah. it. Definitely, definitely. Well, that feels really good. Hunter Donaldson, we are already passing an hour, and we have 17 promissory notes. Guess what? Part two. Uh, to, it's going to happen. Part it, it, it was, two. It this was might be a three-parter. I don't know. We talk a lot about this stuff. I think it, in theory we could do all 17 in one episode, but I, I don't know what this is going to turn into. Yeah. Um, but we are definitely pushing all of the faction promissory notes to next week's episode. So stay tuned. This keeps happening with Galactic Council episodes. We do a Galactic Council episode and it turns into like one or two full episodes. So good job, Galactic Council, on picking uh, really big topics. Yeah, you guys pick me- really meaty, really meaty topics. Um, what is some of the stuff that we just kind of need to catch people up on in general? Um, I know we we probably still have the header up top that says like, hey, please sure. come to our Gen Con live show. But I just want to go ahead and say it again. Hey, please come to our Gen Con live yeah. show. It's going to be a butt of fun. A yeah. lot the of fun. The links are in the Reddit thread. The links are in the podcast description. You can find the link to that event. You need to subscribe to it. Not subscribe to it, but you need to sign up for it before Gen Con or show up with generic tickets. Yeah. Either one will work. Uh, please, uh, if you are on the on the Patreon, if you're one of our Patreoners, Please vote on the next game. Uh, there are four choices up right now. We're going to throw another one out by the end of the month. So get in there. Um, those of you that care about diplomacy, uh, it's time to Now's speak up. Because <laughs> di- diplomacy's on the chopping block if, if there's any. And after that, it's going to get ugly. It's going to yeah. get yeah, bloody. The, the top three are really racing each other. Um, yeah. so I'm excited to see how that all, how that all plays out once there's only three left. Uh, and you know, there's what, 17 people that had voted for heroes of land, air and sea. Uh, so those 17 get in there, get, give us, somewhere. give us your next pick. Like, please, please factor in on this poll each time that that's the kind of the goal is for maybe we didn't pick your favorite game, but what's your second favorite. Okay. Yeah. And we keep going until we've got that perfect, 1v1 on Final Destination, no items. (laughs) Uh, Yes, and you can also rate us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Uh, Give us a good rating. Uh, Man, Hunter, we already have three ratings that are calling us their favorite movie podcast. So that was a a very wonderful call to action. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. So keep doing that. uh, Oh, and I (laughs) I just want to say I loved all of them. They all made me laugh very, very hard, and I was looking (laughs) for them. Uh, Super good. Super happy about it. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Space Cats Pod, uh, Facebook Space Cats Peace Turtles. You can find our posts on the Twilight Imperium subreddit. Uh, you can also join our Patreon and vote on these episodes. You can vote on the next game. You can produce your own episode. Uh, all kinds of things can be accomplished in the Patreon. And you can join our Discord to join in conversation and also gain a bunch of those Patreon benefits. Yeah. Um, I am Hunter Donaldson. Hi, uh, and I'm a comedian here in Portland, Oregon. Um, I run two weekly shows, which is crazy. Um, one of the weekly shows is at Ford Food and Drink. Uh, that starts at eight o'clock. It's called Earthquake Hurricane. I co-host that with some very good uh, Portland comedians, and I also co-host a show 
every Sunday night at Alberta Street Pub called Comedy is Everything. Please check out either or both of those shows. They're both really, really great. Um, And the real thing I got to tell you about that is like very, very important to me, I will be performing in the Portland's Funniest Person Contest. I do this every year. I've done well in the past. Um, This year, I want to go all the way. You know, I want to get to to the finals uh, if I can. Uh, The first round of the contest is based on audience vote. So please come by. My round is uh, on June 19th at 7 p.m. at the Helium Comedy Club in Portland. Um, If you would like to come, please call uh call helium beforehand and drop my name to get half off tickets for five dollars or if you just kind of decide last minute uh you can get the tickets at the door for 10 um it will be very very fun and uh if you come see me uh you'll be you'll be like whoa hunter is like legit um i'm not but it will seem like (laughs) it'll look that way (laughs) It, it will feel that way uh, I want to thank some Space Kitties. I want to thank Billy, T.G. Welch, Yin for Life, Patience is a Virtue, Naderade, Jim Bob, and Umar. And Hunter, I'm sneaking a play of the week on you. I've got one this time. Do it. It's been a, it's been a bit. Uh, this one is from PJ. PJ says, It was the sixth round of a game that was already starting to go long. Even the veterans among us were having trouble scoring points. Our latest objective was control another player's home planet. Our Necro player hadn't really expanded very well, partly due to a poor slice, but had built up quite a fleet in in preparation, and suddenly looked very ready to do so. Eyeing the Mentak to his right, who we were all starting to worry about, he took Warfare. A couple turns in, and he's taken his fleet from his home system directly next to Mentak's. Meanwhile, the Ghosts player activates the wormhole next to it and brings in a Dreadnought, a carrier, and some fighters fighting the cruiser he's left there. A couple eyebrows are raised, but no one thinks anything more is coming from this, especially because he's been pushed back by the Nalu so much. Warfare happens. Necro's fleet is ready to jump on Mentak, and then Ghosts sends his flagship from his home system through the Delta from a Beta to an alpha, and into the Necro's home system, a total of four movement on a one-movement ship. Necro has made the mistake of leaving his home planet undefended, and Ghosts jumps in to take it. Obviously, Necro returns home with his big scary fleet, and the Ghost player announces a retreat returning home. Necro has brought four infantry back, and bombs the Ghost's only defender, so we're all ready to go, and the next turn when Ghost says, Oh, are you committing your ground forces? Is is this the right time to play this action card? Sure enough, he drops a parlay on the table, preventing Necro from retaking his own home planet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, baby. So what'd you think of E3 this year? uh e3 oh so now we're a video game podcast all right yeah keep keep them coming yeah that's that's uh, that's what we're gonna do now at the end after the play of the week we're gonna, uh, we're gonna do our, our other podcast <laughs> what do you think about uh, what do you think all right um who won um, e3 this so, year so Porky, pokemon sword and shield cool uh animal crossing cool uh that's about the extent of my excitement oh really Those, that's about the limit of what I have in, in excitement factor. I didn't watch Microsoft's. I I am interested in what their new console setup and craziness is going on, but it sounds like it wasn't much of a, a thing. Sounds like people weren't that uh, ecstatic about it. So yeah. don't know why I would be. 
Yeah, I liked uh, they they showed more of the Final Fantasy VII remake. Uh, I'm excited about that. That'll be fun. Uh, I thought the Square Enix Avengers game looked all right, if not kind of <laughs> weird, because you're seeing you're seeing the Avengers, but they have slightly different faces than you're used yeah. to, which is just kind of odd. I would rather play Ultimate Alliance three on Switch at this. Like, I and, I, and I know some people are like, "Oh, those games are pretty meh," but like, I would rather take the cartoony, just like fun co op game than the like, "Nah, this is the Avengers game." Like, I just don't. I don't. Yeah, like, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I think it was just really hard to get excited about Marvel Ultimate Alliance three uh, because it just. It actually looks like a sequel to a game that came out ten years ago. Like it, that's yeah. what it looks like too. It looks it like does. it looks like they made this right after and just held that, yeah, for a while, and then we're like, hey, we've got this game. Um, but I don't know. No, yeah, not not the best E three really. Oh, I'll say this: the thing I am most excited about, which is sad because it was the most vague thing, is Breath of the Wild two or whatever it ends up being called but a, a proper sequel to breath of the wild freaks me the heck out i'm i'm ready for it i that's it, i want it i'm ready for more details obviously but i'm ready for it yeah uh, i think overall though i mean if you can't tell from the the fact that we've only talked about nintendo stuff uh yeah. nintendo had a really good showing uh sony wasn't there so we didn't get to really yeah enjoy that in any way and i think microsoft uh has just seemed weirder and weirder every e3 for a while um yeah. Keanu was cool. Keanu's a cool guy. Fun to have him around. I am so in favor of the Keanu sense that we're going through right now. <laughs> the Keanu's Keanu's great, and him being in Cyberpunk 2020 is the most obvious 2077. cast. 2077. Yeah, so Cyberpunk's coming out in 2020, but it's called 2077. Yeah, that was that was the big announcement. Was that they there's a release date for Cyberpunk, but. You know, whatever. Like, the, I, like they're I gonna make that. I continue to not actually care about Cyberpunk, even though I'm sure I'll play it and enjoy it. I'm sure there's a lot of people that listen to our show that that like Cyberpunk are and are excited about it. it. I yeah. think, I think, uh, I think if if it's deep, if it has like a good story and good characters that are well developed, I think I'll probably be completely on board for it. Yeah. Um, I really like Deus Ex, and to me, Cyberpunk 2077 yeah. is just a new Deus Ex game that I I'm a loser, really so like. I'm still more interested in the Outer Worlds. So whatever. Oh, I'm sure they're both, meh, and I'm sure people are not. Uh, I think people's interest in the Outer Worlds have been waning, but I'm excited for it. I I think I think it just looks like it maybe plays a little like an older RPG. It doesn't it doesn't feel as like fresh and new as yeah, like Cyberpunk is exciting because you know the world looks so very so well developed and the you know yeah. It's got the pedigree of CD Projekt. I'm a little bit more interested in that, like, not old school, old school RPG, but that, like, late 2000s RPG. You, ju- you just want... You like, just I'm a wanna, Bethesda boy. Yeah, no, no, I want Fallout New Vegas again. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You you just want the spiritual successor to New Vegas, and I think yep. you're, I think you're going to get that. I think you're going to get that. I think I'm going to get that, so I'm excited for it. Well, so this is fun. Make sure to let us know that we're your favorite e- post E3 podcast <laughs> in your ratings. If you want to go ahead and post very good podcast, it would be so crazy if we kept doing this. And then like a year from now, if somebody checked out our ratings on iTunes, it would be like, what is this show about? <laughs> like, oh, they said it's a good podcast for books that it's good. It's about cooking. Is this podcast about decide- cooking? I can't decide if that's better or worse than 
So it's just about Twilight Imperium? Because that's what we got for the first year. It's just a show about Twilight Imperium and that's it? That's weird. If it was instead questions of, wait, is it about everything? Is it about too many things? If I think that might be okay. This show, that, that'd be so cool if in three years the, the way this show worked was like the intro is like, Welcome to Space Cats, Peace Turtles, a show about Twilight Imperium, movies, books, cooking, ice skating, ice cream, and <laughs> elections. Maybe it should just be about Twilight Imperium. Thank you for listening to Space Cats Peace Turtles, and thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum.